You're listening to the P-Town Church Podcast. To learn more about our in-person services or additional sermon content like this, visit palcc.org. That's P-A-L-C-C dot O-R-G. As we continue our focus on Hebrews, we're into Hebrews 12 today, and we are specifically looking at verse 12 through verse 17. And um, just so we're caught up, we're all on the same page, uh, we want to talk about, um, give you a little bit of a review in our deep dive in Hebrews 12 in November so far. We've been talking about the struggles that Jesus helps us through. And those struggles uh, are very real, can be painful. The first week we talked about the, the thing that causes all our struggle in life is our sin and how we need to fight against sin, and uh, we should never give up that fight because it's always going to be with us, always going to be attacking us, and that's fighting the good fight of faith. Remember how we talked about how God redeems us uh, from our sin, but we need to rid ourselves of the weight of that sin so that we can run our race cheerfully as we relate everything that's going on in our world to what Jesus has done for us and how He died for us on the cross and fought for us when He was here on this earth. And last week we talked about our struggle as sons and daughters of God and how He rehabilitates us uh, when we do sin, we fall short. He uses His discipline because He loves us and the hardships that we have in life are part of that education program that He has for us to grow and get strong. And we can always trust that when He's teaching us, whatever we're going through, whatever persecution or difficulty, He's doing it for our good and preparing us for eternity. And that brings us to our focus for today, and that is our struggle with the sensuality. Now, sensuality is a, kind of a relative or a, a broad term, and I want to make it very specific in that it has to do with when we look at life not spiritually... You know, we're not, we're not looking at life from a spiritual point of view. And in some instances, we're not even looking at from an intellectual point of view. We have just allowed our senses, our sensualness, our sensuality to become our guide in everything. And that's where that whole aspect of you don't think it through. It's just whatever you feel like doing in the moment, that's what you do. That's the sensuality of our culture. And we have really... Uh, beginning to struggle with that as a people, the farther and farther we get away from God, the farther and farther we get away from living by the Spirit of God, and the farther and farther we get away from true intellectual critical thinking and understanding what's going on in this world. And I, a good example, I was just trying to think, what's a good example that I can share that helps us understand this struggle with sensuality. And the thing that I came up with was because it just happened as I was prepping this service or this sermon is the quizzical nature of our voting process in America. Now, after this last election, and you probably know where I stood on issues one and two, and again, I'm not going to be political about this, but I had to ask myself, why do people vote the way that they do? Now, I know um, I have access to the information that in our polling place. And so here in our particular polling place here at the church, our, um, we're like four to one uh, the, in voting no on both of those issues. And as you know, the state of Ohio as a whole passed issue one and two a few weeks ago. And, 
you know, initially I had a bit of frustration about it because I'm old and when people don't agree, don't agree with me, I just get grumpy. That's what my kids say. If they don't agree, I just get grumpy. But it's really not just that. It's that I think that we kind of misunderstand the fight, especially in the church these days. We misunderstand what this fight's all about. It's not whether one issue, with issue one, issue two, were right or wrong in, in the nature of what they were trying to explain, but it's all about the fight itself. And I think what we're learning, especially in the last few elections, is that the Democrat Party, for instance, they seem to understand the nature of the fight. Because they rarely will talk about the facts in terms of the intellectual aspect of it. And they rarely will talk about the spiritual component, whether God sees or how God feels about it or what God's word says about it. No, they normally always attack our sense and sensibility. They want us to feel what they believe and how we should vote. And when they do that, Many, many people who are persuaded because many people are driven by their sensuality these days and they are voting a certain way. All they have to do is push the right kind of sensual but buttons in people and then they will say, well, this is then the way I've got to vote. Every, nothing else matters. It's just the sensual approach to that. I can remember not too long ago when one candidate uh, pictured uh, uh, the other candidate as pushing grandma off the edge of a cliff. Now, you know that that's not actually going to happen, but the one candidate said, if you vote for him, this is what's going to happen to grandma. He's going to push her right off the cliff. Now, we know that that's just kind of theater, political theater. But when you start to get to a point in society when everybody is driven by their sensuality, their feelings, and you know which buttons to push, you get people to vote just about any way that you want them to. Now, the information that is shared, sometimes not completely accurate or appropriate, but what they do know how to do is they know how to persuade people sensually to get them to react. And not only that, but they have people out there that are willing to help pay for that uh, advertisement and promotion. As a matter of fact, with issue one, the three times as much was spent on ads and promotions for issue one to be yes, as opposed to those who were on an issue one to be no. Well, this is just an example of our central struggle in life. And whether we like it or not, whether we agreed with one or two, one and two or not, that's not really the discussion here this morning. It's just a point that we are struggling sensually in our culture right now. It's more about feelings than it is about anything else. More, our feelings are more important than our intellect. Our feelings are much more important than our spiritual nature. And a lot of times people will confuse the two. They say, well, I am following my feelings and that's very spiritual, but it's not. People have lost connection with their spirits after decades of what we'll call sensual experimentation and experiences so we shouldn't be surprised when they choose things that are very sensual in nature, very feeling in nature, very, you know, just in the gut, in the heart kind of things, issues that they get back to. So we must accept that our struggle is sensual and that we are called by God. How do we respond to that? We're called by God to strengthen those who've been disabled by their sensuality. And we do that with our own holiness. 
Instead of engaging people in politics and political arguments, I know this might sound cliched, what we need to do is preach to them the good news of Jesus. Because only Jesus can change and transform the mind and soul soul, so that we don't conform to the pattern of this world. Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you know what the will so that you can do the will of God, his good and pleasing perfect will. Only God can change and transform the mind. You can argue people with people on a sensual level all day long. You're going to lose because sensuality is stronger in many people's thinking and in the way they process things in life than their intellect or their spirits. So instead of engaging in politics sensually, we should be involved in teaching people spiritually. And Thanksgiving, at the subsequent holiday, Jack was talking about Christmas today and Thanksgiving, it really gives us a chance to restore our faith in God and celebrate the generosity of God in the birth of Jesus Christ, His Son. It allows us to refocus on being thankful for all the many blessings and reconnect people with one another through the sharing of gifts. And it gives us a chance to recalibrate in a certain way the spiritual side of our lives. All year long so far, you know, we get into ourselves, our health, our making money, getting out of debt, whatever, whatever your New Year's resolution was, you notice it, it goes from being generous towards everybody else to how can I make my life better or how can I prove my own life. And then after 11 and a half months of sensuality, we're just kind of tired of thinking about ourselves. And then all of a sudden this holiday comes along that says, hey, don't think about yourself. Give gratitude to God. Think about your family. You got to get together. You're going to have meals together. You're going to spend some time together. And then following that, you have the opportunity to be generous by giving gifts to people to make up for all the things you didn't do for them during the rest of the year. Well, it gives us a chance to help people recalibrate by bringing the spiritual aspect of that into people's lives. And we should take advantage of this time of year to strengthen those who are worn down and debilitated by this sensuality and sensualism that uh, is expressed through selfishness in their lives. It's a good time to be reminded by our deep dive in Hebrews 12, 12 through 17, that we are to help our friends and our family who have become distracted and are weak by making sure that certain things don't take place in our community to advocate and to argue for, to be apologetic in the, the, in the aspect of we are reasoning and asking people to think about what God would want us to think about. Well, let's look at the text. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17 says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So this is our purpose. We want to help people who have become weak. They've gotten off track or they are uh, bogged down in ruts. And we want to make level paths for their feet so that they can be healed and overcome their disability. It continues, make every effort then, and that's in light of what we just said, make every effort then to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God 
and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless uh, like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Now that last part, uh, we won't get into a lot, but it really just expresses the kind of regret people will have in their lives if they cheapen their experience by just following their sensuality. We're taught here that there are some things that we need to do. It is our responsibility to lift these people up, to make level the path for their feet so that they can be healed. And our response to sensuality and selfishness, which is destroying our environment, is to spend our time strengthening people by giving them a better path. So instead of the lame being disabled, falling down over and over again over the same thing that tripped them up before, they can be healed. And we're to passionately pursue this peace with others and be holy among them so that they can see the Lord through our lives. We are the salt and the light. We are what preserves our culture. We are what gives it perspective and illumination. And we do that when we live in holiness. Now again, holiness is not living in perfection. Holiness is living according to God's sanctified calling of your life. And so instead of living our life for sensuality and the things that we'll talk about here today, we're living our lives for the Spirit. And when we live according to the Spirit, then we have the fruits of the Spirit in our life, which are all great. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. So let's break this down. Let's talk of the three things that we are to oversee, that we're to help preserve and bring perspective to in our culture. And we do that by looking diligently. That word there, see to it, means to look diligently or to oversee. It's not something that is passe. It's not something that I will get around to it. It is something that you are to wake up each day thinking, how can I see to this? If you're a mom, there are things you wake up thinking, this is what I've got to see to today, and you do it. As a dad, same thing. It doesn't matter whatever, you, who, who, whatever role you're playing in, in life right now, you wake up and you see to certain things that you need to do, and this is what God is calling us to do. The first thing here is to make sure that no one, we need to see to it, that no one is falling short of the grace of God. Now, our responsibility is to have the kind of peaceful relationship with others, which through holiness will make sure all we know do not feel inferior, undeserving of God's grace. Now that idea of falling short is that idea where they feel inferior, like they're not, it's not that they don't feel worthy because that's not the right word. They just don't feel like they're deserving of God's grace in any way. Well, neither are we. And we have to make that clear to them that even in our pursuit of holiness, we are unworthy of God's grace too, but He still gives it. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. But we must have the kind of peaceful relationship with people, which means that we are not hostile or toxic to them in every other way. We have a peaceful relationship with people in their lives so that they can see our holiness. And through that, we can make sure that they're seeing God's grace. Romans 3, 22 through 24 says the righteousness, the righteous is given, 
The, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His what? Say it, grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We've all sinned, but all who come to Him are justified freely by His grace. It is not yours to decide who gets it and who doesn't. God's already decided it. We all have sinned. We all need His grace. And you are to see to it in the people in your life as you're living peacefully with them, not in hostility, not in constant uh, battling uh, and, and that kind of thing. You're not to be in opposition to people. People are not your problem. Sin's the problem. We know that's the fight. You need to find a way to show people that are around you that you love them, that you care about them, that you want to be at peace with them. And you also want to remind them that God gives us all grace, that we all fail, that we all fall short. We must wittingly accept our struggle as sensual in order to restore the brokenness of our friends by fighting. We must fight, especially in our context, for freedom of religion. So the promise of grace is fundamental to our way of life. Now, our founding fathers made sure that we had freedom of religion. And that is so that the church could continue to offer perspective and preservation to culture. And we have this so the promise of grace can be a part of the fundamental way we see life. And in many ways, we have that as part of our more or our morals of culture. We always feel like everybody should have another chance, that there's always grace, that we should give people hope, give them another chance. And as we fight for others to experience the grace of God, we can only demonstrate that the best way through our own life, how God gives us our grace. We are to pave the way to holiness. And that means we are to publicize God's grace, promote God's grace, and provide access to God's grace to those who are wounded around us, who are suffering from sensuality and selfishness. When they're sensual and selfish, it's, their life's going to be a wreck. You know that. And what's your response? You shouldn't be doing that. You're just, you're just getting what you deserve. No, that's not the face they need to see. What they need to see is a face of love, a face of peace. It's, listen, we see what you're going through. Let's, let's try to understand how God can help us because of His grace. Now, this freedom of religion that we have in our culture is very important. That's why we still have to fight for that these days because there are some who would just love to take the church and set it completely aside, make it illegal, marginalize it. And I know it's hard for us to think, no, nah, that could never happen here in America. It was the same way in Russia before Communism took over there. It was the same way in Nazi Germany before the socialists took over there. The church was like, oh, no, this will never happen here. But we have to fight for our freedom, our religion, so that we can maintain the opportunity to share the grace of God with everyone that we know. George Washington, when he offered the first presidential proclamation for Thanksgiving in 1789... 
He said it this way, Now therefore I do recommend and assign Thursday the 26th day of November next to be devoted by the people of the United States to the service of that great and glorious being, capital B, talking about God, who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of the providence of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner, manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the, one, the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty which, with which we are blessed, civil and religious liberty, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us. Very well said, President Washington. He understood that God was the one to whom we owe our thanks. And then he details specifically those things that God brought about in his view. And then he thanks God because they have civil and religious liberty, that they've been blessed with that, and that they have the means of sharing that around the world with other people. Listen, we still have all of this available to us as believers. And at Thanksgiving, you're going to be gathering with all sorts of people, maybe some at work, and you might have opportunity to be opportunity. The idea here is that when you're offering thanks, make sure that we're offering thanks to God. And that part of that is the blessings that we enjoy to share His love and His grace to other people. The second thing we're to oversee here, we're to look after that we're to preserve and demonstrate perspective in, is to not allow any bitter root to grow up, to cause trouble and defile um, the people who are around us. It is our responsibility to have the kind of peaceful relationship with others, which through our holiness, and again, not perfection, we're not perfect, we are called by God, we understand our calling to be spiritual, and he wants us to be mindful. That means to be intellectual, to reason with people. All those things are being a part of God. Not just to live sensually, but to live spiritually and intellectually. That we are called in that holiness to make sure that no poisonous, sharp bitterness swells up in the crowd to annoy and defile the community. Now those are all kind of Greek um, extrapolations of the text there. Poisonous, sharp bitterness. People will try to separate us and divide us with poisonous ideas. They get involved in the crowd. They annoy us and then it defiles the community where we become, instead of loving and caring and kind and considerate to each other, we become mortal enemies because of how we vote or what we believe or think. 
It is our duty as believers to make sure that no bitter root grows up like that to trouble and defile us. And how do we do that? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 gives us some advice. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and a sense of brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. The world says you need to take a side. And oftentimes the sides are so extreme that it's hard for us to feel comfortable in either one. So, just be on God's side. Use your words to build other people up. Encourage them because you know what their needs are. You know how it can benefit them. But first you need to get rid of all the things that are inside of you that cause you to be angry and to... to to strike out at people, the anger, the rage, the malice, the, the slander, the brawling, the ma everything that's in you that's wrong, the way we think and feel. And just be kind and compassionate. Forgive each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. When we look diligently, when we preserve and offer perspective to those who are around us so that this bitter root doesn't grow up around us, we do that when we are being kind, considerate in our words. We must willingly accept our struggle as sensual in order to restore the brokenness of our friends by fighting for our freedom for speech. It's another thing that's, you'll notice, been on the chopping block. Only certain people should have freedom of speech. Everybody else should just shut up is the idea. But we have to fight for that because it's important for us to be kind, considerate, to offer a better perspective to offer the, not just the words that we speak, but the way we speak them to the people around us to diffuse and challenge the poisonous ideas. There's a lot of uncivil discourse around us, and we need to challenge that and characterize the poisonous ideas, not the people, as bad. They may be passionate about what they think. They may believe with all their heart that what they're doing is for a good cause, and the only way that they will know otherwise is if we can keep speaking to them and have civil conversations and discourse that allow us to think critically. And Paul said, come, let's come reason together. Paving the way to holiness means we must share good ideas, speak encouragingly, and support those who are fighting against sensuality and selfishness in our culture. Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation in 1863 was also very powerful. It read this way, It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also there those who are at sea 
and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Not sure who he's talking about. Do you know? He's, I don't know. Is it unclear who he's talking about there? And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penance for our national per perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are avoidably engaged. Talking about civil war there. And fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Now we think we're in the midst of the Civil War. <laughs> Abraham, offer, Abraham Lincoln offers these words and then following the Civil War, there's a time of peace that begins to grow. Can you imagine if they had told Abraham Lincoln, you can't say those things. Or George Washington, you can't give credit to God. You can't mention him. Freedom of speech is for those who are over here because they were just born yesterday and you can't tell them they can't say what they're going to say or they're going to get their feelings hurt. But you, you can't offer sage wisdom. You can't offer the perspective of mankind's history, especially his religious history. It's not appropriate in public. Well, if we use the same kind of principles or the same things they use today, well, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln wouldn't even be able to say what they said. And yet Abraham Lincoln, his words here and then what happened subsequently brought peace and harmony, tranquility to the Union. It took time and he gave his life for it. But it happened because they had this freedom of speech, this public discourse where they continued to talk about what God had done. They address, he addresses the sin here very clearly. But he also thanks God and encourages us to be kind and generous towards one another. The third thing we need to oversee is we need to look intently. We need to preserve and have perspective in the area of this. And this is, this is no thing to just gloss over. But the Hebrew writer says no one. We're to oversee so that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Now, you remember the story of Esau? He sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge to his brother uh, Jacob. And then Jacob fooled him uh, with fooled his dad Isaac by putting hairy patches uh, on his arm. And it's a whole story. Go back, go back and read it. But the thing about Esau is that he disgraced the whole idea of the blessing of God. And then he was sad that he did so and he was tearful and he regretted it but he couldn't do anything you know at that point so what we need to do is we need to look intently over those so that there's no sexually immoral or godless profane people in our culture people who are so profane that they would be blasphemous is the idea where they say we don't need god we don't want god's blessing and we start saying that if a nation starts saying that collectively, we don't need God. We don't want God's blessing. We're in trouble. 
Our responsibility is to have the kind of peaceful relationships with others, which through our holiness, we make sure we restrain the spread of, and the Greek word here is pornos, so you know what word we get from that. And profanity is the other rendition of the Greek word that is used in the text. We restrain the spread of pornos and profanity. Now, profanity means just not just the speaking of profanity, but just that attitude of profanity where we are rejecting God's blessings. We're just so angry and we're just so full of vim and, and hatred that every word that comes out of our mouth is profane. Esau illustrates how he crossed the path of, of the point of no return where he couldn't regain his blessing. But our message is always, as point one, God's grace is available to us. But I think specifically in the area of sexual immorality, pornos and profanity, the word pornos is really um, translated as fornication. So it would, be any, um, it would be any acceptance culturally of the idea of sex outside of marriage, whether it be promiscuity or adultery, where it would just be so commonplace, which it has become so in our world, that we're not surprised when it appears on our TV screens during family hour and we think it's safe. We're to try to restrain that spread. And trust me, there has been an effort to restrain it for a number of years, 40, 50, 60 years now. And if it had not been restrained, I can't imagine how bad it would be right now. And it is pretty bad. Hebrews 13, 4 through 6 reminds us, says marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. He continues, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now in this verse, we see very clearly that God wants us to be uh, in, when we are uh, in relationship, be married, and that we keep the marriage bed pure. Why? Because fornication, it's that the word adulterer there comes from that pornos word, which means any kind of sex outside of marriage. Uh, God will judge those because of the sexual immorality that's a part of that. Why? Because it kills kills relationships, kills our hearts, kills our spirits. It even kills us physically. The more indoctrinated we come with sexual immorality in our culture, and the more indoctrinated our children have become, really the less interest they have in any kind of healthy sexuality. That's why we have weird things going on with young people these days. And we're to keep our lives free from the love of money, that idea of greed, that, that was... Uh, in a fundamental sense, that was Esau's problem. He wanted a bowl of porridge and he wanted it now. And his brother had it for him. He was hungry. He'd been out hunting. He forsook his future for a little bit of greed. And we can't do that because it's destructive. It destroys a culture. 
So we must wittingly accept our struggle as sensual in order to restore the brokenness of our friends by fighting for the sanctity of marriage and the security of the idea of contentment, that God will bless us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is our helper. We shouldn't be afraid of what will happen to us in this world. And we do that so that we will not condemn our culture with pornos and profanity. We're paving the way to holiness means honoring monogamy, morality, things like money management. We do that in our fight against sensuality and the selfishness of our world. You know, I think about, and again, this is not trying to be judgmental of those who are involved in sexual immorality or greed or selfishness. It's like, it is like you know how it is destroying people. And you know that they need your help. You know that they need to overcome that and that God has grace for them in that. It's not about judgment. It's not about condemnation. It's about compassion and concern that they find hope and help. I was fascinated to find out that there's a a wedding trend for Thanksgivings. Um, I was today years old when I discovered that there's a trend towards Thanksgiving weddings. And one of the reasons that is given is because people are already festive about the idea of family and celebrating. So you don't have to convince them to come happy because they're already happy about Thanksgiving, I guess. The spirit of love and family is already awakened because of the spirit of the holidays. So just tap into it, co-opt it in your wedding. I think that's interesting that the two are brought together. I can see some wisdom in that. But I think the important thing for us to remember is that when we come together for Thanksgiving, we're celebrating not just God. But we're selling the blessings of God for our families and for all that He has given to us because we have chosen to honor Him and live for Him and be families for Him and to be pure for Him the best that we can be, to have sanctity, to be called apart for our marriage for Him. But we must keep in mind that we have to fight against this battle of sexuality, this pornos and profanity in our culture. Now, this sensual struggle is nothing new. For centuries, the people of God have fought the good fight to stem the influence of sensuality and selfishness by celebrating the spirit and blessings of God. We just get to do that again this week. We actually have the advantage in our country because the principles and patterns we have followed collectively as a people, they still resonate in our hearts and as Christians, we have the opportunity to see to it that no one's missing out on God's grace and that no poisonous ideas are dividing us and our communities and that the sexually immoral or sacrilegious uh, are not finding a home in our culture. This is our good fight of faith against sensuality and selfishness. Now I'd encourage you this week as you gather with your families to tell the story of Sarah Josepha Hale. Anybody familiar with her? No? Had it not been for Sarah Josepha Hale, we probably would not be celebrating Thanksgiving as a national holiday. She was a poet and a writer, 
had a magazine. She was passionate about making Thanksgiving a national holiday. She wrote one president after another encouraging them to make it a national holiday. Up until then, it was just, just kind of a hodgepodge. If the president wanted to do it, he could. If not, he didn't. And there was no set time or day for it that people could depend upon. Her desire was that Thanksgiving was important because it celebrates the origins of the American people. Specifically, our origins as family, our origins of faith, and our belief in God. I think Sarah had it right. So let's seize the day, Thanksgiving Day. We have a chance to do that again today. Let's seize the day for God. Let make it, let's make it His again, a day of thanksgiving to Him. As George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and many presidents after them, let's make this about thanksgiving to God. And it will make the day better and brighter for us and for everyone that we know. This struggle against sensuality is not always fun, but I hope today you understand how necessary it is for you to fight that good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to consider your words here from Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. When we are fighting against this world and the sensuality of it, the selfishness of it, Please help us to remember that it's not ours to be angry, spiteful, to want to hurt other people because they're caught up in sin. But we're to be compassionate, kind, to reach out to them in peace and love. Using our words, sharing the good news of grace, being very careful to talk about those things that are damaging our society like sexualism, and sexual immorality, and selfishness. But to do so because we ourselves have chosen to live that way in our lives. Not that we're perfect, Father, but that we want to live for you. We want to preserve what you have blessed us with. We don't want to bring perspective to those who have fallen and need help to get up and be made well and be healed. So as we celebrate our Thanksgiving, I just pray, Lord, that you bless us in that. That when we come together with our families and with people that we know this week, maybe through the office or work or wherever we might be, that we'll have an opportunity to point to you and give thanks to you. And maybe have those conversations that as we see to it, that people understand they have grace available to them. And we see to it that no poisonous seed or poisonous thought will separate us, that we'll defend that, we'll fight against that. That we'll see to it that we don't let sexual immorality and selfishness just overwhelm us in culture. We continue to fight against that. Stand for something that's right in standards. That you'll bless that fight, that good fight of faith for us. Help us to be strong in that, Lord, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, let all God's people say, Amen.